in the, in the uh, freedom that uh, they have provided. So, God, we are, are, are grateful. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. So glad to see each of you here this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, what a beautiful weekend it has already been and will continue to be, it looks like. So we're grateful for that. Um, uh, I'm going to just make one announcement, and then we're going to have you stand and greet one another. So there are yellow sheets in the back in the, at the welcome desk or on the, on the table in between the doors in the back of the church. You can fill those out if you have prayer requests and address change. If you're new, if you want to meet with a pastor or talk with one of uh, the elders, you certainly can fill that out. Put it in the offering basket, which is right on the inside here between the double doors. Also, obviously, you can put your offering in that basket as well. Um, Would you take a moment, stand please, and greet those around you. Well, welcome again. My name is Jacob Herringer. I'm one of the elders here. I am uh, just reminded I need to send a special welcome to those who are visiting. I do see lots of new faces. It's Memorial Weekend. We have people coming up from other... uh, towns and cities to be at the lake and and uh, so we have new faces here so if you are uh, a lake person who's up here for the weekend uh, at your cabin or whatever we welcome you we, we are grateful that you are here as well um, so just a couple of announcements for us this morning um, the uh, elders are um, proposing an amendment change uh, we that was emailed out this week I believe uh, Uh, Tony emailed that out. If you didn't get that, please let the church office know so we can make sure that you get that email. Um, And because we are doing that um, amendment change or proposal of an amendment change, we are going to have a town hall uh, June 4th and June 11th uh, after the service uh, for about a half an hour and uh, to answer any questions you might have uh, about the proposed change. Um, and so you can join us for one of those if you have any questions about the amendment. That's, again, uh, June 4th and June 11th after this service. Uh, Vacation Bible School is going to be starting um, the end of well, June 19th through the 23rd. There are volunteers that are still needed. So if you are interested in doing that, please contact Pastor Aaron. Uh, you can also register your church online for VBS on our church website. There's no Sunday school or adult discipleship groups today, but those will resume next week. And then I think I saw one other thing with the children's ministry. If you are interested in helping with children's ministry over the summer, um, it's a short commitment. I'm doing two weeks um, this summer. Uh, we want to try to give the regular um, volunteers for Sunday school the summer off. And so we're looking for people to step up and take, take those places. Again, if you're interested in doing that, please contact Pastor Aaron. Um, we do have, always like to try to celebrate something. We've got a couple of things to celebrate today. One is the uh, safety fair that happened here, I think, about two weeks ago, or maybe it was last Saturday, a week ago. Um, there were uh, many children here. The, the forecasted rainy weather kind of made the crowd a little thin, but uh, there were many people here, a lot of different agencies, a chance for kids to meet them, uh, to get, pick up some free stuff. I don't know if the helicopter made it here or not this year. It did? Yep, so the helicopter made it here again this year, so we're, we're grateful for them for coming on over from the airport to land a helicopter. That's always kind of a cool thing when you can be close to uh, a helicopter that's landing, So, um, if you like flying, so that's a cool thing. So anyway, great, uh, great time for our church to welcome in the community and to participate in an event like this. Uh, the other thing we want to celebrate is we have some missionaries with us this morning. The, the Hoffmans are here. Are they in the sanctuary? A family talk. 
I consider you all part of my spiritual family, and so that means sometimes hard things are going to be said. I hope you feel the same way to me, that when, when uh, things come up in your life, that we can have those hard conversations. So today's message was not an easy one to prepare, because many different things came to mind as I was reading through the passage. As we begin this morning, we're going to have a, a pop quiz I know for many of you, that's been a while since you've had a pop quiz, but don't worry, you won't be uh, graded on this. But if you would, uh, this is the part where you get to to interact. If you would, uh, out loud, share with us, what are some of the promises that God has made? Whether they were in in the Old Testament to the patriarchs, or what are some of the promises that God has made? Never leave us or forsake us. That's a great one. What else? Forgive us our sins. Say it out. Christ's first coming and second coming. Hallelujah. Carry it through to completion. Hallelujah. Anything else? He will what? He will direct our path. Hallelujah. Absolutely. I'd like to share with you this morning some of the ones that we tend to ignore. Some of the promises that maybe we tend to ignore. Uh, this one's from John chapter 15. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Second Timothy, Paul writes, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew writes, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so, we, so be wise. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. First Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Those aren't exactly what I would call fun promises, like the ones that we just said. They go hand in hand with all of the ones that we just said, but they are promises nonetheless. There will be persecution. The Christian life is not an easy one. I'd like to share with you a story about uh, two of my personal heroes uh, who were missionaries in the 1950s. Some of you will recognize this story. Please uh, just listen as I read this. It was at Wheaton where Elizabeth met Jim. Before their marriage, they both went individually to Ecuador to work with the Quechua Indians, and the two were married in 1953. Before Elizabeth had started her work, she listened to the words of Marua, a woman of a neighboring tribe who had been held captive for a year by the Haroni, sometimes called the Akuas, or savages. She told Elizabeth that the tribe was fierce and they acted like savages, but the women were likable and kind. And in 1955, Elizabeth gave birth to uh, their first daughter, Valerie. Elizabeth said that she had had a premonition that Jim's mission might end in his death, explaining, I often thought I was going to lose my husband. In fact, just before he left for his fateful mission to the Akuas, they had talked about what she should do if Jim should not return. So as they said what turned out to be their last goodbyes in January 1956, her mind was filled with thoughts as to whether what would, that would be the last time she saw him alive. Jim and four other Christian missionaries, Nate Saint, Roger Eudorian, 
Ed McCulley and Peter Fleming were speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador. Their killers, the Haroni Indians, the same group that Elizabeth had been warned about earlier. After Jim's death, Elizabeth, together with Rachel Saint, the sister of another of those killed, continued her work among the Quechua at the site, which was several days by trail from the Akua territory. Despite what happened to their men, Elizabeth and Rachel were still determined to reach the killers with the gospel. At the time, their only link with the Akua culture came when they met Dayuma, a young woman who had fled the tribe some years earlier to live with missionaries. Dayuma, who was by then a believing Christian, also helped them translate the Bible into the Akua language. In November of 1957, there came a breakthrough. Elizabeth heard that two more Akua women had left their tribe and that she hurried to a neighboring settlement where the women, Mintanka and Minkamu, were. They spent the next 10 months with them seeking to learn more of the Akua language and culture. Eventually, the two Akua women, together with Dayuma, decided to return to their native tribe, leaving Elizabeth and Rachel wondering what the fate of the three women might be when they arrived home. However, three week, after three weeks, the women returned to the mission, bringing along seven other Akuas and an invitation for the missionaries to visit the tribe. And after all these things happened, Elizabeth Elliot said this, as long as this is what the Lord requires of me, then all else is irrelevant. Turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We uh, just started in Philippians, and Pastor Cody's done a great job walking us through the first, uh, the first 11 verses, taking time so we know what the Philippian situation is, what Paul's situation is in, in writing from uh, most likely house arrest in around 62 A.D., uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 20 will be our text this morning. Join me there, if you would, in uh, the reading of God's word. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only then in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul moves from uh, this, uh, the first 11 verses, which are talking about thanksgiving for the church in, in Philippi and the ministry that they have there, and he turns to his own circumstances, which is interesting. He often does this. He often refers to his uh, chains or his imprisonment, but he always uses it as a tool for gospel proclamation. He never once complains about his chains, and if he mentions them, he reminds the church to be praying for him while he is in them. 
Paul has gone under immense persecution throughout his life. Up to this point, he has been beaten, he has been stoned, he has been left for dead outside of city gates, he's been flogged several times and left for dead. But he chooses to rejoice because he knows, which, and this is uh, my main point this morning, severe situations do not determine gospel outcomes. Severe situations do not determine gospel outcomes. Whenever Paul writes of his chains, it's always a tool that he realizes that God is using to advance the gospel. And he actually even gets specific in this letter, uh, talking about uh, the, the, the word of God and the, the story of his imprisonment and Christ being proclaimed throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Uh, the Praetorian Guard were uh, basically Rome's finest Soldiers. There was probably seven to nine thousand of these guards. They were the most trusted guards in all of the Roman Empire, and they worked specifically for the governors and for the emperor. And what they they even actually had some political power. They were often asked advice on uh, different things to do, whether it was building or whether it had to do with politics. And Paul discovers that he can use this ministry, these guys that are guarding him, he's using it as a ministry. He's using it to advance the gospel. I imagine it, it, it kind of went something like this. The, you have Paul under house arrest and you have some guards and after a while the guards probably get bored of talking to each other and they turn to Paul and say, well, why did you get arrested? And Paul just starts rubbing his hands together and he's like, let me tell you why I got arrested. I got arrested for advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he's in chains. Could you imagine the excitement he would have over being able to tell someone he was arrested for sake of the gospel? And now it's known throughout this seven to 9,000 soldiers of the Roman army because he dared to proclaim the gospel even further. Paul's positivity even cause, in his chains even causes the church in Philippi and the, and the people around him to advance the gospel all the more. You can see uh, in, in the first few verses, it's become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. And now, uh, because of Paul's imprisonment, they have far, people, the, the believers there, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear because they've seen Paul doing it and know what their mission is, even when persecution comes, that doesn't act as a hindrance, that acts as a tool to advance the gospel. I, I really appreciate, in, in one of the translations, uh, my translation uh, says, have far more courage to speak the word without fear. I love how, I, I, I for, forgot to write down what translation I found this in, but uh, in, one of the, in a translation in English, it says, they dared all the more to proclaim the gospel. They dared all the more to proclaim the gospel in spite of their circumstances. They dared all the more to proclaim the gospel. It reminds me of when I uh, uh, first had met my wife. And she thought, I don't know if you're, you're probably going to find this hard to believe, she thought I was obnoxious. She thought I was obnoxious. She thought I, I was a know-it-all and I was cocky and she didn't want anything to do with me. And now we have a two-month-old child. <laughs> when 
when I was pursuing her, there were many things I had to change about myself if I wanted to pursue her further, if I wanted to keep pursuing in the relationship. We had many hard conversations. There were many hard things that I had to do to keep pursuing her, but I dared all the more to do it because I knew what, what the end goal would be and how being with her would cause me to grow closer to Christ. Should we get married? They dared all the more to proclaim the gospel. And my question to you today is, do we dare all the more to proclaim the gospel? Especially when we're under persecution or what we think is persecution. I don't know if you remember this, but about uh, three years ago, something happened in the world. In 2020, do you guys remember that? Something happened. And some people called it persecution. I myself would not call it persecution. But in looking back, in retrospect, I can see that the church, especially in America, did not use that opportunity to proclaim the gospel. The church in America, rather, many of us, used it as a tool to proclaim our own agendas, to proclaim our own political stances, to proclaim life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We didn't take the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. I would like to show you a picture of some men who took the opportunity to dare to proclaim the gospel. This is persecution. Several times we've heard in the news of different terrorist organizations lining up Christians on a beach and doing a, a, a public execution. And the men and women on their knees before the Lord dare to advance the gospel. But when we were faced with things in this country that we viewed as persecution, we did not dare to advance the gospel. Our motives moved. They changed. Actually, they didn't change. It just brought to the surface what was already there, what we dared to proclaim. I think the church in America has a severe problem in their lack of urgency of the gospel. Um, I did some research this week to look up some of the fastest growing places where the church is growing the fastest. And uh, from what I concluded, from what I found out, Iran and Afghanistan uh, were at the top of the list. You can see Iran is at 19.6% as a growth rate, and Afghanistan is at 16.7%. That means this year, or or, excuse me, last year, for every 100 people that were already a part of the church in Iran, roughly 20 more came to know Jesus. And in Afghanistan, for every 100 people, almost 17 more came to know Jesus. That's a great growth rate. Hallelujah. And I don't know if you know this, if, if you're familiar with Iran and Afghanistan, those aren't exactly places where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are promoted. They're under immense persecution. Let's look at the statistic of the growth rate in the American church. Point zero eight percent That means, I had a math teacher confirm this, that means for every 10,000 American Christians, only eight more will come to Christ. Only eight more came to know Christ last year. For 10,000. That's embarrassing. 
That shows that we have a lack of urgency about the gospel. We're not being persecuted like Iran and Afghanistan. We don't have to, we don't have to hide the fact that we're going to church. And yet, eight for every 10,000. And church, closer, church closures is another alarming rate. Last year, which I think is a, a fairly good statistic until I saw the church closures, last year 4,500 new churches opened in the United States. Or excuse me, 3,000 new churches opened in the United States. 4,500 closed. I'm, I, I didn't go to school for math, but I don't think that's a good statistic. We are 15, because of last year, we are 1,500 churches shorter than we were the year before. And I don't think that number is going to get better. So what is our problem? What is our problem? Why don't we have this sense of urgency? I mean, we have the most Bible translations into English. We have the most by far out of any other language. What's wrong with us? We're freely allowed to worship. I don't, I don't have to... I don't have to do anything special to come to church. I just got to drive myself here and I can go down and tell anybody I want that I go to church. I can tell anybody I want that I'm a pastor. That's amazing in the world we live in today. And no persecution will come. So what is our problem? Again, as I said in the beginning, this is, this is a family discussion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some hard things this morning that you may not like to hear, but I think that we need to hear. The first thing is, I believe in America, we idolize life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We do. We idolize life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't think Paul idolizes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't think the church in Iran and Afghanistan are idolizing those things. But as soon as there's any hindrance of those things on us, we fold like a wet paper bag. Let's talk about Let's talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I would argue that those three things, I'm not, and to be clear, I'm not talking about the sanctity of life. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about our lives as Christians. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the rights to those things went out the window when you came to know Jesus Christ. Let's read about what Paul has to say about life. If you go to, to verse 20. In Philippians 1, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And read that next verse. It's one of the most famous in Scripture. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, it doesn't matter if he's alive or if he's dead. Christ is going to be proclaimed. And it's being proclaimed all the more because he's going through persecution, because he's suffering, because he has counted his own life as forfeit. He doesn't believe in a right to life. Because he's joined to Jesus, he knows he has the ultimate right to life in eternity. But here on earth, he's like, whatever, dude. I don't care if I, if I live or if I die, because either way, Christ is being proclaimed or I'm going to be with Christ. Who cares if I'm alive or dead? Liberty. We idolize liberty. Do you know what the definition of liberty is? I looked this up this week. It's funny, we throw that word around a lot. The definition of liberty is the power to do as one pleases. Does that sound like a biblical concept? 
That is not a biblical concept. If you believe it's a biblical concept, this is what I want you to do. This is your homework for this week. Go back and read the book of Judges. You know the most common phrase used in the book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in our own eyes. And the funny thing is, as Christian Americans, we keep being surprised when people who, who we believe are depraved and far from God come up with new ways to celebrate their liberty. When uh, gay marriage is legalized, we were surprised. Why are we surprised by that? We've given these people the opportunity to do anything that they want to do. When someone asks you to use uh, different pronouns, why are we surprised by that? We've given them the opportunity to do what they want to do. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. We keep being surprised on the way man uses depravity. Why are we surprised by that? We keep saying that this country is getting farther and farther from God, but if you, if you look in the foundation of our country, most of those men are what we call deists. And deists basically believe that there was a creator, and he kind of stepped back and said, you know what, the world's just kind of going to run itself. I hate to break it to you, but that's not how it, that's not how it works. <laughs> I hope for each of you, Jesus Christ is a very, very real part of your life, and he didn't just step back after creating the world. The pursuit of happiness. I think the pursuit of happiness is great as long as it's Christ you're pursuing. The pursuit of what makes you happy? I thought the heart was deceitful above all else. I thought that we were in a battle against flesh and spirit and that we had to put the flesh away so that we no longer do what we want to do. What makes us happy? In the American church, we, we idolize these three things and they are not biblical principles. I can see how we might be able to, to scrunch those into scripture, but they're not biblical principles. Secondly, we consider Christianity to be an individual endeavor. We consider Christianity to be an individual endeavor. We use, the language we use doesn't even make sense because I'm, I'm not exactly sure where we get a lot of it from. Like, we ask Jesus into our hearts. Have you ever heard that before? Might have heard that? I, I struggled with that for a long time when I was a kid. I did not understand what that meant, to ask Jesus into my heart. I get the, the concept behind it, I, I get it, but what really happens, we don't just ask Jesus into our hearts. It's the fact that he makes us so aware of our sin that we have no other choice, but we, and we realize what Christ has done in our lives, and we are joined to him. Here's another one. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a personal relationship with, with John DeClean. I have a personal relationship with Barry. I would argue that our relationship with Jesus Christ is a corporate one, not a personal one. The beauty of the personal one is going to come when we get to be with him. That's what makes it so special. When we see physically the person of Jesus Christ and we get to be with him forever. I, I don't have that with him now. I have a relationship with him. I worship him and I serve him. I don't have that with him yet. 
It is yet to come. That's what makes it so, that's what makes heaven so spectacular. It's the fact that we get to be with the person, the physical man of Jesus Christ. We come to church to get fed. That's an interesting one. We come to, has anyone, has anyone ever heard that before? We come to church to get fed. We come to church to get something out of it. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we're a church. When you come to church, you are coming to worship Jesus Christ. And you're going to give everything you got, whether that's playing on worship team, whether that's preaching, whether that's teaching kids Sunday school, whatever it may be. It's giving whatever you got. It's not, it's not taking. We're blessed to be able to receive those things. We're blessed to be able to learn from the word. We're blessed to be able to have the opportunity to worship. But when you come to church, it's not about taking. It's about giving. Fourth, one of my favorite bumper stickers, it's a relationship, not a religion. It's a relationship, not a religion. This is a real famous one. Let me read you the definitions of those two words real quick. Relationship is this, a state of affairs existing between those having relations or dealings. Okay, that's not bad. That kind of describes what I have with Jesus. Let me read you the definition of religion. The service and worship of God. Which of those two would you rather be doing? Which of those two is more biblical? I would argue it's the second one, the service and worship of God. When we call it a relationship, we elevate ourselves on the same level as Jesus Christ. We elevate ourselves because then it can be an individual endeavor and we can say, hey, this is, this is, this is my faith. This is my faith, so I'm gonna do what's right. That's why we need the body so much to give us a kick in the pants when we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing. As soon as you make it an individual faith, You've lost the whole point. That's why it, it, you need here, here are some, let's, let's go with some better definitions, some better aspects of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. That's a circular definition. Being in Christ means being a part of the body of Christ. That's what being a Christian Means. It means being a part of the body of Jesus Christ, being a part of the church. That's what it means to be in Christ. I have to, I have to break this to you, but Barry, by yourself, you're not the bride of Christ. Bob, by yourself, sorry, not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I'm by myself, I'm not the bride. We are the bride. Paul uses, every time he writes about the church and is writing a letter to the church, uh, I, I've had the privilege to suffer through studying Greek over the past semester and, and into the summer and continuing in seminary. And it's very interesting. Paul very, very rarely uses the word you, meaning a singular person. He usually uses their name. What he does is he uses what's called a third person plural. A third person plural is, uh, is my professors, are, I go to Dallas Theological Seminary, so the best way they explain it is y'all. <laughs> it's y'all. You are not the church. Y'all are the church. 
It's not an individual endeavor that we're on. It's a corporate relationship with Jesus Christ. And one day, hallelujah, we get to be with him as the bride and the groom. And there's going to be a great feast. And we're, gonna, we're literally going to party forever with Jesus. Being in Christ is a communal effort in the pursuit of advancing the gospel as one body. Being in Christ is a communal effort in pursuit of advancing the gospel as one body. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it one of us going out one at a time and doing it. We need the body. That's why he gave us the body, because we need each other, because we're going to slip and fall, because we're human. We're going to give into the flesh instead of leaning into the Spirit. And we need our brothers and sisters who also have the Holy Spirit to correct us when we're in error, to correct us when we haven't gone to church in a few years or we're there maybe one or two times a month. This is another alarming statistic about the church. About uh, 50 years ago, average church attendance was considered three and a half Sundays a month. Now average church attendance, what people consider to be going to church is one and a half times a month. And we wonder what the problem is. We wonder why we can't advance the gospel. And if, you, if we continue on, that, that was mostly just the first three verses, but if we continue on, we can see Paul has some uh, competition in, in verse 15 through 18. We, he has some competition for proclaiming the gospel. And even then, he's thankful that the gospel is being proclaimed, even though it's being done out of selfish ambition. He's basically saying, hey, at least their theology is correct. The gospel is being preached. It's not being done with a correct heart, but people are still coming to know Jesus because the gospel is being proclaimed. People are trying to, to get at Paul and outdo Paul. Could you imagine that, trying to outdo the apostle Paul with evangelism? But yet, Paul rejoices that the gospel is being preached anyways. All this to say, much like Elizabeth Elliot said, said uh, at that quote, all of our situations are irrelevant. All of our situations are irrelevant. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, they're irrelevant now that I know Jesus. Because now that I know Jesus, I don't care about a democracy anymore. I care about a theocracy. I care about doing what Jesus wants me to do. What my country, who, my, who the leader of my country is, guess who put him there? Jesus Christ. God is the one who put our current authorities where they are today. Even though back in 2020, we thought we knew better into who put into power. I don't know why we're doing it this way. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. All I know is I get to advance the gospel. I don't care who's in power. You know who was in power when Paul was writing these words? A guy called Nero. Ever hear of him? Guy who burned down Rome probably, persecuted Christians, threw them to the lions, ultimately probably killed Paul, probably even a couple of the disciples. And yet, he wrote in Romans 13 that we're supposed to submit to authority. Whoa! Even while Nero's in charge? Even when we have a current administration that we don't agree with? Yep. Because it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant because your goal your duty is not, is not to vote. I think voting is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. But 
ultimately it's going to be irrelevant because God's going to do what God's going to do. And your job is to be a part of it. Your job is to advance the gospel. And, and I would argue very rarely that happens through voting. What, how that happens is bringing people to church, proclaiming the gospel. When you own a small business, I bet you a lot of people know Barry goes to church. A lot of people that comes and sit in Jake's chair at a dentist knows that he goes to church, probably even knows that he's an elder. Gospel proclamation wherever we are. Your situation is irrelevant. It doesn't matter where you are. Even if we get to live in a country as cushy as this one, we have failed drastically. We have no sense of urgency of the gospel because guess what? Church is going to be there next week. Awana is going to be there next fall. It's going to continue on. Ultimately, we may not be able to gather here anymore. I believe that's a long ways down the road. But we, we lost our sense of urgency when it comes to gospel proclamation. We ask the question, can it wait? Pastor Tony asked me to, to, to sit in with, with, the, with the middle school boys and youth group. Now, that can wait. I did it last year. Pastor Aaron asked me to, to serve uh, this summer a, f- a few Sundays teaching in the kids' ministry. But that can wait. Someone else can do it. Julie Mining came to me and said, hey, you'd be a great Awana leader. But, you know, that can wait. I can do it maybe the year after when I'm not so busy. It can, can it wait? It can wait, right? The gospel can wait. I'm here to tell you, the gospel cannot wait. And if you don't get on the train, it's going to keep moving without you. If you don't get on the, get on the gospel proclamation train, guess what? Your spot's going to be filled. I, I am, even, even as a pastor, I'm not irreplaceable. Like, I can be replaced very, very quickly. God can replace me very, very quickly should I choose to not do the job that he's called me to do. I can get replaced really, really easily. We can be replaced. But the gospel will continue on. And I'm telling you right now, have urgency about it. Get on the train. Get going with it. Have a sense of urgency. It cannot wait. Here is what I believe our call is as the body of Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick in closing. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, in my opinion, is the perfect book if you are, if, if you are starting, well, even now as a church, but even if, especially if you're starting from scratch, like building a church, and you want a mission statement or, or a, a vision statement, just put the book of Ephesians in there and go on to the next thing. Ephesians is such a great book for the church and how we are supposed to act. So we're going to start in verse 11. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought pastors were the ones supposed to be doing the ministry. Whoa. You're telling me that the saints are the ones supposed to be doing the ministry? My job is not to do all of the ministries. My job is to work myself out of a job. My job is to equip all of you to do ministry, whether that's, uh, whether that's with money, whether that's with Bibles, whether that's with a ride to church, whatever it may be, that's my job. That's t- Cody's job. That's Tony's job. Our job, we view as, as pastors and elders, is to equip you guys to do ministry. That's our job. 
It's not to do all of the ministries. It's to equip you to do them. Let's continue on. Until we all attain to the unity. Oh, we all. Y'all again. Hmm. We all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of a stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children, tossed here and there by waves carried about every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body, building of itself in love. A great tool I have, and not everyone has this in the world, is my elbow. I really, I'm overly fond of my elbow. I like my elbow. But if I take my elbow out and I set it over here by itself, without my body, it's literally just going to rot and decay. But when it's in a body, when it's working properly and all the functions are working and the tendons and the muscles in my arm are being moved by my brain, by what the head is telling them to do, that's when the body is the most beautiful thing. That's when the body of Christ is the most beautiful thing, is when the saints, not just the pastors, not just the teachers, not just the elders, are moving together under the head of Christ in an advancement of the gospel. That's what we are called to do as Christians, to move together, not separately, not to have our own individual faith. So you you can't, well, I believe this about the Bible. Well, guess what? There's some people who do that and they were called heretics because they removed themselves from the body and were like, you know what, this this scripture doesn't really make sense to me. Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? He took about everything out that was what he considered miraculous or supernatural. So basically, I don't, I don't even know what Jesus would have said in his version of the Bible or if Jesus would have even been in there because he removed himself. He was a deist. He believed in, he, well, yeah, there's a creator. Sorry, that's not, that's not good enough, Tom. To believe in, in Jesus Christ, to be called for the work of ministry means working together as a body for the uplifting of the body. And in Matthew 18, sometimes it means the correction of the body. That's why we have each other. And that's even why we have a church government structure. So if I have a problem with someone, I can, I can go to them and, and talk to them about it. And if it doesn't work out, I bring another one with me. And if that doesn't work out, then I bring the elders with me. Because we need each other, not just for correcting, but for the building up of the body so that we can advance the gospel. The gospel cannot wait. Paul's declaring it from chains and house arrest. The gospel cannot wait. We have some people in here, just, just as a few brief examples. Ben and Amber Bay went to Papua New Guinea with like a two or three-year-old. How, I don't even know how old Ariana was. She was like two, two years old. A two-year-old moving to a foreign country with a two-year-old. We have the Hoffmans here who are moving to the Middle East with three kids. Because I think they valued the advancement of the gospel more than having their own individual faith, more than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, more than a lot of things. 
they were, con- they were convinced that they must advance the gospel. We have, we have uh, some folks visiting it here from us. They, were, they lived in the Philippines for many, many, many years. They had kids in the Philippines. I don't, the Philippines I, I, are somewhat nice, but not always the nicest place to live. They don't even usually have air conditioning. Talk about persecution. <laughs> but guess what? They said, you know what? My life doesn't really matter because either I'm going to live for Christ or I'm going to go live with Christ. And they advanced the gospel. So that's what I'm telling you today, Maranatha. The American church over the past 50 years, there's been a a very big decline in the advancement of the gospel. I think if we were more focused on advancing the gospel than complaining about our current administration, the gospel would go a little bit further. We'd get out of our own way to advance the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot wait. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for people like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot who did not count their own rights but counted rather that you are the sustainer and author of our faith, that you would be the one that needs the glory. You are the one that we are supposed to pursue. You are the one that we are supposed to be a slave to. We are bound to you. I pray that, it, that as Christians, particularly Christians in America, that we would work on our urgency, that we would advance the gospel even when we feel it's not fair, even when it gets hard, even when things happen that we can see in our country as moving the wrong direction. I pray that we would all have an urgency about a sense of the gospel and that we would realize that it cannot wait. We ask these things in your name. Amen.